0: Welcome to The Continuing Educator, and thanks for listening to our show over the past three seasons. We've enjoyed joining you in your classrooms and offices to share ideas and experiences. We've got a bonus episode for you today, a chat about family literacy with Martin Silverman, an elementary school principal in San Antonio. If you like The Continuing Educator, please give us five stars and a comment on your favorite podcasting platform and share the podcast on social media or with teachers you think would like to listen. We'll be back for season four in 2023. Now, here's Jacob. Now we'll transition to the voices from the field, the part of the show where we talk to practitioners uh, about the work and the perspectives they have uh, around the topic that we're discussing today, family literacy. I'm Pleased to be joined today by Martin Silverman. Martin Silverman is a father, grandfather, husband, longtime educator in beautiful San Antonio, Texas. He's committed to providing the best educational experience for the students and families at Salinas Elementary School, where he is principal. Martin has worked in urban, suburban, and rural districts as a teacher and administrator. His interests are in creating and nurturing school culture, providing enriching experiences for students and families and developing future teachers and administrators. As a former bilingual teacher and administrator, Martin is committed to providing ELL students with quality programs to develop their unique skills. He also is a podcast host. He hosts a podcast called The Second Question, which highlights educators and provides them with a forum to discuss ideas and to honor the teachers that have influenced their lives. He also co-hosts another podcast, The Texas Connection, along with Dr. Daryl Potter and Dr. Jeff Springer. You can reach out to Martin on Twitter at Mr. 116 Martin Silverman, thank you so much for joining us today. Jacob, I
1: am just so happy to be here. Thank you so much for, for having me as a guest.
0: It, it's our pleasure. You know, as we were putting together the roadmap for the for the season we knew we wanted to talk about family literacy and we have a lot of literacy experts at nwea uh and one of them indicated you were an influence uh, and and are a passionate person uh dedicated to family literacy in your work in your schools Uh, and i'm hoping martin kind of wide open to you, sir, Martin, why is family literacy important to you and and so essential uh, to the families, the students that you serve?
1: Well, you know, the best way for me to kind of lay that out for you is to just tell you a little bit uh, of a personal story. So I grew up in uh, the garden spot of the USA, Brooklyn, New York, and um, I grew up in a family of people who were who were educated but not formally educated okay so my father was a factory worker a uh, who did not graduate from high school my mother had a, a CTE you know what you what we now call CTE but like a secretarial diploma from high mm-hmm. school neither of them attended college they were first generation American uh, they're all you know, all four of my grandparents were immigrants but but literacy was important in our family. There was an undercurrent of literacy in our family. There were books on bed tables, there were newspaper subscriptions and magazine subscriptions. And, you know, reading was something that I saw adults do in our family. And so literacy became uh, just ingrained uh, in the family. And, and when I became a teacher, uh, and this is my 39th year in education, so when I became a teacher back in 1983, There was already kind of a deterioration of literacy as a, uh, you know, as a focus in families. And I realized that one of the ways that I was able to become educated was because literacy was a positive, you know, it was a positive event, I guess. It was a positive uh, state of being. And so I wanted to make sure that that was, um, became important to families as well, no matter who the families were
0: uh thank you for that martin i i uh I connect to your story you know my my mom, uh, youngest of ten uh and the most educated, tells a similar story right of of uh books and and literacy being so important to to her uh, and certainly that's uh had an impact on me I, you know let me pivot Martin. um what are some strategies you use or your you and your team use to encourage family literacy at Salinas elementary?
1: Well, you know Salinas elementary uh, in and of itself as a community, is a community that is uh, where literacy is uh, a, it's something definitely that our families see value in already i didn't have to create much of that here at Salinas, but uh, I'm glad you brought up Salinas because comparatively to places that i've worked before so I've worked in uh, urban and rural uh, poverty schools, high poverty schools, where literacy was not uh, a forefront in families. Because what families were doing was working to, you know, scrape by to make sure that they could provide, you know, roof, electricity, clothing, food, etc. And so literacy was not something that it was often seen maybe as like a luxury to have time to sit and read a book and read a magazine. Uh, we can get kids very interested in books. Uh, there are, and especially in elementary school, um, you know, we can sell the idea of of books being a way to uh, transport yourself into a different place. You know, to let your imagination. Uh, go wild. And that's, you know, that's an easy thing to do. Unfortunately, what, what happens is literacy beco- starts to become a chore. And when that chore becomes difficult for students, they grow up to be people who are not, uh, who don't choose to read. Uh, you know, add to that the, the, I, the idea that there are so many choices that uh, kids have for entertainment other than reading a book. You know, I guess I'm old enough to say that there, you know, there was certainly TV, there was music, but there wasn't the, um, just the array of electronic uh, distractions that uh, (laughs) that are available to kids today. And so literacy didn't have to fight in quite such a, you know, a crowded field. Uh, And I grew up up north where, you know, winters were also rough. And so uh, indoors became, you know, a, a lot. And that's what you did indoors was read. Uh, what we do, though, for families now is we're trying to recreate the love of literature that people had when they were younger. Because kids who come to our school is you know as three-year-olds in our pre-K three program, our pre-K four program, they love books. Kids love books. They love to hold them. They love to have them. They love to have them read to them. They love language. They love language play. But that Love is unfortunately lost over the years. And so what what our job uh, to kind of bring it back to the family is to bring that love back to the family.
0: And so could I could I follow up there and ask, um, how do you bring that love back uh, to the families, Um, for example, not in the Salinas community, the the high poverty or other kind of uh, uh, literacy deserts? I don't know if that's a phrase, but um, where where that's needed.
1: You know I think that the way the best way that I've uh, been able to do that is to simply is to simply reframe literacy as not something that has anything else attached to it except for the enjoyment and the love of it so um I'll give you an example um, our you know people people who who struggle to pay for um, just the basic necessities of life might consider purchasing books to be a luxury, right? A luxury that I may not choose um, to, you know, to partake in. Uh, and so, and so simply initially providing, providing books with no, uh, no strings attached, you know, like, like we mm-hmm. want you to, to build, you know, if there, if the books are there, there's a likelihood that you're going to pick one up and, and read it. And so um, providing books for home libraries is one way. Uh, I worked at a school here in town that uh, was a library desert, a public library desert. It was, it, was far, it was so far from a public library that it was impractical for us to expect that kids would be able to, and families would be able to, you know, go access the public library. And this is in a city, right? This was not rural. What we ended up doing was, though, for for a long time until funding got cut, we were able to uh, work out a deal with the San Antonio Public Library to have a bookmobile come to the school parking lot uh, twice a month so that people could access those library services there. It was hugely successful. And unfortunately, uh, it it only got cut when funding to the public library got cut. But Mm -hmm. it provided an, an opportunity for that to be, you know, right there, where you didn't have to travel to go get it. So so access is huge. Access to the materials is huge. But access to the materials and what I would pair that with is access paired with but we're not going to like ask you to fill in a test afterwards. We're not going to we're not going to you know after you've read ask you to tell me about what you read by writing something down. And and what you know what I want to to emphasize with that is that teaching reading and reading comprehension and evaluating reading is huge. I mean, it's it's huge uh, and and necessary. But re- but but building family literacy involves reading for pure enjoyment, and that's also something that needs to be taught. And you do that by taking away the the uh, um, potential consequence of reading Mm -hmm. so if i'm not a great Mm -hmm. reader and i know you're going to ask me questions after i read i may not choose to read
0: martin i i really appreciate your uh sharing your experience and your 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 thoughts there the this idea of uh fostering and retaining the love and joy of reading providing access to reading materials and both of the above uh, with no strings attached um uh what, can I ask, uh, what efforts have you seen? So I, that's a picture in my mind already. But in practice, what have you seen as the outcomes uh, of uh, these types of approaches?
1: Well, I'll give you a great, uh, a great example. I'll give you a couple of great examples. One of them is we... OK, so one of the things that we do here at Salinas that is probably different than in a lot of schools that I've seen is... You know, there are schools that have what they call literacy nights and reading nights and things like that. And, you know, I want to frame this in knowing your community, right? And having a relationship with your community, because in a community where literacy is not um, at a high level, where in the families... Uh, where where the the act of literacy not that people don 't know how to read but what I'm, but the act of actual literacy of choosing not 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 knowing how to read and write but choosing to read and write, which is a whole different thing and that 's the goal mm-hmm. um, in in places where that is at a lower level you what you see is when the school has an event uh, so we 'll call it a literacy night right now, what is initially created is in my mind is a is you're you're emphasizing the the, uh, dichotomy between the educated and the people who are not as well educated. And so there's inherently an unequal balance right going into that. And so one of the things that we have done here at school is we've eliminated almost all of those academic-focused nights in favor of you know what I could best be called as fellowship development nights. Um, we do things where we at nights like you know game nights and and um, uh, we've had spa nights and just like events where everybody goes in on an equal basis. It doesn't matter if you're you know where your skills are. But what gets what gets filtered into that is hey you know there's also. Maybe there's a book on this, or maybe you're reading the you know the the rules of the game, or maybe you're talking about you're you're building literacy by talking strategy, and you're talking about you're telling stories, and all of those those build into literacy practices that are that are kind of uh, delivered as you know as it were in a more equitable way. And that could be done at any school. You know, it, it's, it's, that can be done, and it's done at a Salinas. It's been done, you know, by me at schools that are high poverty, because once you take away the, we're, you know, we're the ones with all the knowledge and you're not, that, that allows you to become more, uh, people to become more open to accepting that, hey, literacy is a, is a good thing that we want to, you know, be a part of.
0: Uh, Martin, you're to be commended. I love the, um, the marriage of family literacy with family and frankly, community engagement. Um, uh, that's a, it's a special thing. And I think the community is lucky to have you and your educators amongst them. I, I, it leaves me with a question though, as I'm, I'm listening to you. I'm wondering how does family literacy look different for young readers? Uh, as I think you've described well versus older students.
1: So as students get older it becomes a harder sell. But nice. it becomes a harder sell but I, but I'm going to contend that it becomes a harder sell because we you know our system has made it a harder sell. We we you know we we always promote literacy. And and I work elementary but you know I I have three kids and so they've been through uh you know elementary middle and high school so I can use them as an example. Uh, sort of, I guess. Uh, you know, it's a small it's a small sample, but it's a sample. It, it, reading becomes literacy activities. Reading, writing, listening, speaking, all of those become less um, attractive in the in the presence of distractions that are bigger than that. So, you know, and and as I was saying earlier, more distractions now. You know, uh, uh, TikTok as opposed to picking up a novel. Um, you know, it's it's, and that's probably one of the biggest. And so, a lot of it comes from us being able to to decompartmentalize what literacy is. So, I'm going to give you a great example from mm-hmm. my history. I went to a high school in in Brooklyn, and I graduated. So, I graduated a long time ago. I graduated in 1979. So, I'm going to frame you know when my high school years 76 to 79, uh, 10th, 11th, 12th grade in Brooklyn, New York, at John Dewey High School which was a a magnet, a public magnet school, you know, not a, just anybody could go to it. Uh, And it was built around a different theory of education in which uh, my history class, for example, in my U.S. history class in 11th grade was taught through literature. So we, Mm -hmm. you know, we read um, uh, Sinclair Lewis, The Jungle in talking about the Industrial Revolution. We read, um, you know, in talking about uh, McCarthyism, we read uh, *The Crucible* by Arthur Miller. You know, like it it was those literary um, connections to life and history became became a thing that made us that made us want to because it was relevant. You know, literature was made relevant and and. You know, adolescents are emotional. You know, balls of hormonal. You know, yeah, sure. <laughs> and you can connect to an adolescent with relevant literature. And relevant doesn't necessarily mean new. Relevant means, um, you know, age-old lessons that are taught that have re- that a teacher makes relevance to current, you know, situations but using, um, beautiful language that, uh, you know, that the teacher
0: wants a student to be able to have experienced. Well, uh, I, Martin, I appreciate that. You're making me think of that, the old adage of art imitating life, right? So the relevancy, uh, uh, within studies of, uh, novels and, and thereby literacy, uh, in any kind of, uh, uh, context academically. But I, I wonder as well, and again, small sample size of my kids, um, you know, but you name TikTok, and I think immediately of escapism, right? Escaping your life, which is isn't that what my mom always told me? Why she read just to get lost into a story? And I see I have one very avid reader. This idea I'm going back to your notion of no strings attached. Uh, a lot of the reading I see adolescents having to do is because they have to do it and they are assessed on it, uh, whereas, uh, you know, my, my, my kid who just loves getting lost in fantasy, that's all he wants to He doesn't want to watch TV. He doesn't want to watch a movie, right? So um, there's elements there. Would you agree with that?
1: No, for sure. And, you know, I I'll, I'll go all the way back to when we start requiring a reading log of, you know, you have to have 20 minutes and you have to have it signed by, you know, your parent. And reading then becomes a chore you do in order to receive a grade, receive a pat on your head, you know, receive, uh, avoid a consequence, <laughs> and and when that connection is made to reading as a, and I keep using reading, but remember I'm also talking about uh, listening, writing, speaking, you know, when, when those become uh, tied to a consequence or a reward, uh, and that happens we do it inadvertently I, I, we never mean to do that but we do it inadvertently by making it by putting a, a, a value different from just the value of the joy and the knowledge and the vocabulary. And once you do that, it's, it's, it's why, you know, if somebody told you to uh, take a piece of paper and draw a picture... And you might draw whatever you were going to draw. Uh, but if they ask you to do it in a, you know, you can only use these certain colors and, uh, you know, and if and I'm going to expect there to be, you know, five triangles and, <laughs> and six <laughs> squiggly lines. You know what I mean? Once it becomes not just drawing, once reading becomes not just reading once writing becomes not just writing because you you those words you know have to get out of your head and so yeah. they have to come out some way so you're either going to speak them or you're going to write them once that happens and that changes we then are now fighting to get it back and that's why the whole notion i believe of having to provide family literacy activities as we get older even exists because because we've it's it's not the um, the baseline, the go-to, the expected—you know—we're having to provide something that that really should probably just be part of the nature of of how
0: families exist. Absolutely, uh, I, I I appreciate you sharing your 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 experience and your perspective. I have a, two more questions for you um, that I know will be uh, our listeners listeners will be interested in, in hearing. Uh, you know, given your experience, how? how can teachers and and leaders support families who may speak a different home language in this family literacy conversation?
1: Uh, Yeah, no, there are some, there are some uh, programs even that exist out there. Uh, One of them I can think of right off the top of my head is the uh, Latino family literacy project, which is very easily doable by, by, you know by teachers uh, in classes I worked at a at a dual language school the one the school I worked at previous to this one, and um, my uh, third and fourth grade bilingual teachers taught uh, the Latino family literacy project to their fam their parents and had you know quite an extensive amount of people who wanted to participate and they read books together and they wrote um, journal entries together. And they uh, and it was all done in Spanish, and so uh, that particular one. And it was all based. All of the the, the materials were chosen to connect with um, culture and experience, and and also looking beyond culture and experience, which is also important. Um, you know, to uh, you don't go anywhere if you keep everything to what. People are already interested in because you you need to use that to move to the next thing. If people don't know what they're interested in yet, until they uh, you help them experience that. If they don't do it on their own, you know. And so uh, that's that's just one example of that. So uh, you know, working with families that that uh, are Spanish speakers who are uh, you know who develop literacy skills in uh, in Spanish and writing skills. uh, Yeah, it's a fantastic
0: project. That's great. Uh the the notion of valuing native language uh the the literacy assets that are already in the home and the family. Uh that's great. So, final question Martin. Um I I'm an educator listening to this conversation. You've inspired me. I want to try some new things in my classroom with my families with my students. Where's the best place to begin?
1: You know, the this is going to sound like a corny thing, but, uh, but it's really true. Where you're going to start is from your, your core, yourself. You're going to say, what is something that's interesting to me? What's something that I would love for somebody else to you know, know about, hear about, uh, experience the way I experience? So I'm going to give you a perfect example. It's actually funny that we're talking about this now because I'm reaching a, on my desk here. For a book that has been around for you know generations okay so you see the book I picked up here Pippi Longstocking and I am I asked a fourth grade teacher if I could now that we're done with testing if I could uh, read aloud with her kids this book and I told her one of the things this it's purely that I want to share an experience that I was able to share with fourth grade kids when I taught fourth grade a million years ago Um, and and Hopefully, see if 30 years later kids still, uh, you know, connect the same way as they did then to a story of a kid that's their age that lives a completely different life from the life that they lead and what the possibilities of that are. And so I I say that, you know, you start with choosing, uh, you know, if you're in a classroom teacher, just, you know, the nitty gritty is you choose your read aloud, you choose the read aloud that um, connects to you so that you can connect it to your, Students, so that they can then add that as part of their experience, you know, and their experiences get more. We provide them more and more schema, more and more, you know, uh, things that they've heard about that they know about and and that they can make connections with. And I say that is exactly where you you start with something that is meaningful to you,
0: authentic joy and relevance, uh, Martin. Silverman, sir, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experience, your advice uh, with with all of us.
1: Jacob, thanks so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. I I love to get the opportunity to talk about things that I am passionate about. And uh, as you can tell, this is one of those areas. So thank you so much for the opportunity.
0: Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Continuing Educator. Visit nwea.org to learn more about our mission to help all kids learn.